my point of trying to tell this story and our podcast and so forth is never to say to other people who might be in a situation like mine, you have to stay together or you have to, let's say, pretend you're something you are not. In our case, you know, it was an evolutionary process without going into a lot of detail. It wasn't something that I just woke up one morning and said, guess what? I'm not who you thought I was. And my wife was very much involved in sort of that evolutionary process. We talk a lot. And the one thing about our relationship is that we have this level of trust that I've never had with another person. We share everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wild, the innocent, and the East Street Shuffle, however you want to phrase it. We share everything. We always have. Like since we met, we've just clicked and bonded on a level that I think a lot of times people don't achieve. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lessing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. Joining me is a new friend, uh, a podcaster, a former attorney, and a wonderful Springsteen fan. He just showed me his signed copy of The River. So, David, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really, really happy to be here. I've listened to a few episodes and you know, we follow each other on social media and, and uh, I'm just thrilled. It, it's really great. And I love the fact that you're, you know, inviting on people from different backgrounds and, and uh, different communities and that sort of thing. It's great. So it's really a pleasure and an honor. Well, David, thank you. And, you know, I, I really, I want to be careful how I say this, right? I, Don't worry about it. I love all my guests, but it is very easy to get a very, 50 60 year old white guy from the east coast joining me right it is sure. you know like <laughs> sure. there was a thing if you're an east coast sports writer you're a springsteen fan right like that's sure. it, it's mandatory and i specifically wanted to try to get you know because someone on twitter said why aren't there any female guests and so i started looking and i'm like well i've had my share and it's certainly not that I'm, I am deliberately excluding people, but I think, and I think this is where sometimes politically people get off, get off track is it's not that I'm excluding it's, but am I reaching out? Am I right. making an effort to make the change versus just, well, it's not my fault, nothing but, you know, straight white guys want to be on the podcast. Well, are you making an effort? to get something different? Well, and, and I think, you know, I, I have, as you mentioned, I practiced law for many years. In the last yeah. five years, I've been in a corporate setting. I'm, um, I'm still a licensed attorney, but I'm a legal yeah. editor for a, a big media company that has an online service for lawyers and law firms. And so I'm much more in a corporate setting. It's a very big yeah. company and, you know, they have offices all over the world and that sort of thing. Um, and I get, I've gotten involved in some of the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the, in the company. And, you know, that's sort of the thing that we talk a lot about. It's not, you know, diversity is great. Representation is great. 
but it's also about equity and inclusion. Those are key parts of the equation. You have to go out and find people. You can't just say, well, our doors are open. Yeah. Anyone can come in. I mean, that's great. There's yes, no reason is. not yeah. to do that, right? But you also have to make a concerted effort. And I think about, you know, when I was back in law school, um, I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign, um, and all the big law firms from Chicago would come down and, and conduct interviews and so forth. Um, I don't know, you know, what else they did to find candidates. My law school at the time, it's much more diverse today, yeah. but I graduated in 1987. It was primarily, you know, most of the student body was white. Um, at that time, there were still not that many women who went to law school, maybe a third of the class, but I had three black classmates in my yeah. class, you know, in a major state university and one of the better, I like to say, one of the better law schools, um, uh, state law schools, anyway. Um, you know, so I often wondered, you know, what else did they do? And I'm not faulting the firms that I interviewed with. I ended up at a big firm in Chicago that actually has a great track record in terms of doing great public service work, you know, pro bono work and so forth. Um, and in the many, many years since I graduated law school, that firm has done a great job becoming much, much yeah. more diverse. But at well, the time, yeah. you know, I office next to a woman who was the first woman partner in a major law firm in Chicago. You know, now she had been a partner for some years by that point. Yeah. But when she was elevated to the partnership, she was the first woman in Chicago to become a, a, a partner at a major law firm. Yeah. And she was still, you know, an active attorney when I started my practice. So anyway. I got no, a little off track. There. No, you did not at all. Uh, I, I promise listeners, uh, we aren't going to stay this deep. We got deep kind of at the beginning. This was supposed to be a toward the end of my uh, agenda. But um, as you guys all know, we tend to ramble here on Set Lusting Bruce and, and we go where the conversation takes us. So to back up just a little bit, David, sure. tell us a little about yourself. Okay. Well, like I said, I am a, a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for a long time, although I'm not in practice any longer. Um, but in particular, and I think the thing that sort of caught our mutual interest in, in the subject of Bruce is that my wife and I have a podcast called In the Shadow of the Evening Trees, which is a line that comes from, uh, if I should fall behind, off and it's one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. And it's a song about, you know, sort of, it takes a very mature look at relationships yes. and about how people, you know, can get out of step, right? And so yes. there's a line that says, if we lose, if we should lose each other in the shadow of the evening trees, I'll wait for you. If I should fall behind, wait for me. Yeah. And so our spin on that is that, you know, we've been married for a very long time. But over the course of our marriage, um, and we have, you know, it's like three adult children and so forth. But uh, I went through my own evolution where I began to realize that I had sort of basically put on this facade my whole life of this very similar, you know, very, you know, sort of straight guy who, who you know, is a big sports fan and into yeah. Springsteen and all that sort of thing, you know, and in reality, I'm gay. And, you know, it's interesting because I was listening to one of your episodes with your friend Bella and you guys yeah. actually touched on this sort of thing. Yeah. You mentioned that your wife had dated someone in high school who turned out to be gay. And yeah. Bella had talked about uh, she's she's gay, but had had a boyfriend in, yeah. in 
high school and so forth. So, you know, these are not necessarily that unusual, these kinds of relationships, except this happened way late in life. I was already in my 50s. I had yeah. three kids. We'd been married for many years. And, you know, it's not as uncommon as people might think, but we made the decision, you know, to stay together because it worked for us. And, you know, that's not going to work for everybody. And I should point out, I always feel compelled to say this when I talk about our particular story. My point of trying to tell this story and our podcast and so forth is never to say to other people who might be in a situation like mine, you have to stay together or you have to, let's say, pretend you're something you are not. In our case, you know, it was an evolutionary process without going into a lot of detail. It wasn't something that I just woke up one morning and said, guess what? I'm not who you thought I was. And my wife was very much involved in sort of that evolutionary process. We talk a lot. And the one thing about our relationship is that we have this level of trust that I've never had with another person. We share everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wild, the innocent, and the East Street Shuffle, however you want yes. to phrase it. We share everything. We always have. Like since we met, we've just clicked and bonded on a level that I think a lot of times people don't achieve. And so we already had that. And as I said, it wasn't something where I just woke up one day and said, okay, this is that I'm a different person and I'm going to go yeah. off on my own. So it made a lot of sense for us to stay together in those circumstances. You know, and we, you know, we have kids and you know, my family knows, my children know. So the reason why we wanted to do the podcast was really just to be supportive of anyone who might be in our situation, but also supportive of the LGBTQ community in general, because even before I was able to acknowledge my own orientation, I've been for many years a strong supporter of gay rights and, and transgender rights and so forth. And so was my wife. And we've had many you know, gay friends, we, um, we have a trans daughter, as it turns out. And so this is something that's really important to me, just, you know, being open about who I am, even though it doesn't, you know, you wouldn't know it necessarily. Right. I mean, I'm sure I had, you know, high school classmates who might have suspected, right? And we, yeah. we all, we all got called names in high school. Yes, we did. Yes. <laughs> but I live, you know, I've lived this and I, and I curated this persona that I deeply believed in, by the way. Yeah. You know, the mind is a funny thing. You can convince yourself of almost anything, I, you know, and it, that's not necessarily healthy, of course. Yeah. Um, but I, I curated, you know, this, this persona that I, I was convinced was really me. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't. Um, and, and in many ways, I lived a very happy life. I mean, I've been married for many years. We have three amazing kids. My, uh, our, our youngest is a, is a sophomore at my alma mater, the University of Illinois. I'm very Yay. proud of that. Uh, yeah, I, I am. I, I can't, I can't deny it. I'm a diehard fan, but I created this sort of like this sort of like an alternate reality, Yeah. Um, which, but to me, it was very real. And eventually, you know, you can't, as, as you know, Bruce would say, everybody's got a secret, something they just can't yeah. face. Right. Um, so that leads us to where we are today. Well, and and I don't know your journey, but the line that comes to me is it's a poor man living in his own skin who can't stand his company. Yeah. Right. 
Yes. And, and so I do not know your journey. Maybe you were happy with yourself, but once you become that awareness um, and, and better days is yes. better days and land of hope and dreams are my two favorite Bruce songs. Oh, uh, you know, yeah, uh, they're, yeah. They're great. yeah. And, you know, and then of course, born to run and thunder road and keep going, going on. But I've, I've been very vocal on this show and, and I make, I make this comment anytime on social media, someone says, okay, you, you're on stage and you have to do a 10 minute Ted talk. What's your subject? And I say, I pull up the lyrics, the better days. And I talk about that. That song to me is living life in the now that today is our better days. Even if you are in a, in, a horrible situation it is life is what it is and to when i get a promotion then i'll be happy when i get the kids out of diapers Mm -hmm. then i'll be happy when my wife and i uh get enough money to buy a house then i'll be happy you know no it's you have to enjoy the journey and and so i i think of that often and and it sounds like you guys have you know i also and I, I promise listeners we're going to get off the heavy subjects or who knows, maybe we won't. Um, too many people, there is a very small minority of very loud people who want people to be like them, that they don't want to understand someone living different than them. You know, mm-hmm. right. um, I get picked at with a little bit of tongue in my cheek that um, Lynn and I, you know, we met, we fell in love, we got married, we had a kid all in that order. And a lot of members, my family goes, that's effed up because almost everyone else in my family um, got pregnant, then probably got married, have been divorced, you know, and and Lynn and I are just very, just, it just, that's the way it worked out. And there are too many people that are very judgmental about, well, I don't understand that. Therefore, I'm going to be, I'm going to criticize it or I'm going to be disdain. And, and I think that is one of the things hurting society is we do not give enough grace to each other. And to be fair, as I did on Twitter uh, just recently, I said, I'm really trying to do better. And then I see Ted Cruz at the State of the <laughs> Union tweeting a picture of uh, the congressman from, you know, uh, I think it's Colorado that has her on her dress, drill, baby, drill at the State of the Union. And I'm just like, yeah. see, yeah. I can't take the high road with pieces of S like that. So, right. No, I hear you. I don't have a question yeah. there. Harvard David, Law, by the way. Huh? Harvard Law, by the way. Yeah. You see, I think this is deliberate. I think this, and I think that's even worse. It, you know, I think this is a deliberate thing. I think he's a very smart person and he is deliberately doing this as versus being someone who is um, just maybe doesn't know any better. Yeah. Oh, I agree with you. And, and that's the gamesmanship is, uh, is beyond belief to me. I yeah. mean, I know it's always been that way. I mean, yeah. listen, I grew up just outside of Chicago I remember the old, old, old Mayor Daly, you know, the yeah. boss, the guy who yeah. ran the city. Um, I remember the day he died, mm-hmm. um, you know, so 
rough and tumble politics is not a, a yeah. new concept to me. But at the same time, you know, it's a, it's a funny thing is that, um, and, and I, this is by no means a defense of political corruption, but, you know, yeah. the thing about it was, is that, you know, our crooks used to at least get stuff done, right? I mean, <laughs> they picked up the garbage, they made the, the streets were clean, you know, so we, we had we had <laughs> crooks, but they were like honest crooks. They had the kind of like crooks with a work work ethic. You well, know? so I grew up in Louisiana. Oh, in the days of Huey right. P. Long, Edwin Edwards, sure. right? Sure. And uh, so you know the famous statement, Huey P. Long, you know they asked Edwin Edwards, "Are you guilty?" And he said, "Hell yes, but just not of this." You right. know, I mean, right. uh, and I know that's unfair, but the the romanticism of is yes, Huey P. Long was crooked as the day is long, but he also built bridges and he built roses and right. he did a lot of things for the poor in Louisiana. Right. You know, we're and, kind of soulmates in that sense. Yeah. Chicago. And you know, there, there are, t- and this is a, this could be an entirely different pocket, yeah. but definitely ties between Chicago and New Orleans in particular, yeah. you know, um, not just the famous song that Arlo Guthrie had about yeah. the train city of New Orleans. Uh, and by the way, New Orleans is maybe Chicago, New York, and New Orleans are about my three favorite places on earth. So, there, so I uh, love them. What did someone say? There's, um, I can't remember. Some musician did say that that there are only like two or three true, unique cities in America, and everyone else is all one. And you know, and New Orleans yeah. is one of those cities. Yeah, I, absolutely uh, great city. Love it. Absolutely uh, love it. By the yeah. way, just I don't want to go too far down no, this no, digression, yeah. but. I remember hearing when the movie The Big Easy came out, which yeah. sort of introduced a lot of people to the music and all that. Yeah. Um, I remember hearing that the script was originally written. It was supposed to take place in Chicago. Oh, how funny. And someone said, you know, that's a little bit too cliche, you know, political corruption. Let's put it somewhere else. And they picked New Orleans and New Orleans is literally a character in that movie. Yes, it is. Right. That is an amazing soundtrack. And and, um, well, one of the things I love um, is a few years ago, we went to New Orleans. And so we had um, New Orleans is one of our favorite cities. And um, so Lynn and I went and we were staying on Frenchman Street and we were uh, catching all the musical bars, you know, and so we were at this the i believe it's the spotted cat and it was the break and they were the musicians were walking around there was just three of them and they had said we're not a band we just we get here on the weekends and we're just we're having fun so you know and so it was a music a female vocalist uh, a, a guy on the piano and a guy on uh the guitar and uh vocals as well and so she's passing the hat and um and Linda looks at me and says, go ahead, ask her. And the lady said, well, what do you want to ask me? He goes, I said, well, I'm a massive Bruce Springsteen fan. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask if you could do a Bruce Springsteen song. And Linda's mocking me because why am I asking someone in New Orleans to play Bruce? Right. And she was an African-American female. And she goes, oh, 
Atlantic City is one of my favorite songs. Oh. Do you want me to do that for you? What a great song. Too. Yeah, it, it does. It, it, so I did. I, she, she, uh, she did it for us. And Linda looked at me and like, are you just, you're just, you couldn't be happier right now, could you? I go, no. Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, growing up in Chicago, which is, by the way, a city I've only visited once, and it is on our list of cities to spend more time visiting. Come on but, up. All right. Come on up. Growing up, what kind of music did your family listen to, David? So this is one of my favorite. I saw I saw this as, as one of the, uh, your questions, and it's one of my favorite questions because it really got me to thinking. So, Good. okay, so I was born in the early 60s, right? I'm, in fact, I'm going to turn 60 this year. Right. And, so I was I, born I in 59. Had, so you and I are very close. Right. Right. And, and so, but I had, I had 10 older siblings. Okay. So, you know, I, Irish Catholic mother, um, or as I call her, my sainted Irish mother. Anyway. Um, uh, so, you know, as you can imagine, we were into, or my older siblings, especially we're into like, you know, the music that was popular in the sixties and early seventies, Bob Dylan, Peter, uh, you know, Paul Simon, uh, Simon and Garfunkel rather. Uh, Joan Baez, a lot of folk music, you know, like New York, Chicago had a really big folk scene uh, in, in the 60s and 70s. In fact, there's this legendary institution in Chicago called the Old Town School of Folk Music, where, um, you know, everyone on, on earth has played. Um, it, John Prine was a student there. Um, so was I. I. My wife and I took guitar lessons there. My brother Tom took guitar lessons, you know, probably 75 or 76 something like that anyway so so uh there was this legendary folks so everybody was really into that kind of music and we also listened to like you know beatles and stones and everything that was my parents you know uh were very progressive like politically but we're not into that to to the weren't into like you know rock and all that obviously a little bit older but my dad liked Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger, because they're kind of the same era. You know, my dad was born in 1921. It's around yeah. the same time as those guys. Um, so the compromise in our family when we had people over, like we had family gatherings, was they, we'd listen to like a lot of folk music and, and bluegrass. My dad was a, a guitar player himself. Oh, okay. Yeah. And was, you know, he, he loved like classical music. I mean, but he loved bluegrass because he could really appreciate the musicianship, right? So there was this, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band put out this anthology album, this three record uh, set called Will the Circle Be Unbroken, right? Had all these great artists like Doc Watson, and I, I can't even remember who all was on it. Um, and that album, and it, you know, and it, all these great traditional songs like Will the Circle Be Unbroken, and all that. And they, we would play that all the time. So my, my friends thought I was nuts because this is the music I was listening to, you know, and then, by the time I was in high school, it was more like, you know, the Eagles and Fleetwood Mac yeah, and all that sort of sure. thing. But um, the fun, the, so the funny thing is, so I did, I, and I was a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. It wasn't until college that I really kind of got into like punk rock. And then, then that became like my obsession. So my two obsessions are Bruce Springsteen and The Clash, which oh. actually fit really well together. <laughs> Where uh, yeah, when he did London Calling, you're like, yes, so, yeah, very nice. And there's uh, a great backstory by behind that too. It please. turns out that it was Joe Strummer from the Clash who really wanted Bruce to play at Glastonbury, and he wrote. Yeah, I I found it online. There's a handwritten note that he wrote to the organizers, essentially begging them to invite Bruce to come play. And he's talking. I I can't quote it exactly, but it's something yeah. like. 
you know, it's a cold, rainy day in London and the DJ plays racing in the street. You know, everything is going to be all right. This is Joe Strummer, you know, the godfather of punk rock, talking about not just Bruce Springsteen, but that song in particular, which I, I love that song. So, I mean, I was like, this is like, this is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. You know, obviously not, but, you know, yeah. Bruce Springsteen and The Clash merging, you know. Well, I, I've i told the story multiple times on the podcast. Um, a few years ago when people were still touring before the pandemic and uh, Brian Wilson played in Jersey, uh, Asbury Park or somewhere, and uh, Bruce got on stage for the encore. Oh, and wow. they did um, like um, Barbara Ann or we get, I get around something. He played yeah. guitar in a couple of songs and sang some background. And um, I have an adult son too. He's, he's 32. Forget seeing him married, forget seeing grandkids. My wife and I have been married over 30 years. Forget wedding 50th wedding anniversary. If I had been, in that theater and saw yeah. Bruce Springsteen and yeah. Brian Wilson on stage together. God take me. That's it. Right. There will be right. no right. better moment in Not my life. Not getting any better than this. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. right. Oh yeah. my God. So you mentioned knowing, can you remember when you first discovered Bruce and what about him spoke to you? Yeah. So that's a great question too, because so there, there was a radio station in Chicago that played a lot of the early stuff, like even pre born to run. Okay. Um, so, you know, the first couple albums uh, and I was vaguely familiar, you know, I, I remember hearing like growing up on the radio and, and um, uh, Rosalita obviously, and, and a you know, blinded by the light, um, a handful of those songs. And then born to run came out. One of my sisters had bought it and played it a lot and I liked it, but it didn't like click yet. Right. Mm -hmm. I liked that. I liked the music. I understood that this was sort of a phenomenon because, you know, he's on the cover of time and Newsweek at the same time. I remember those magazines in the in the library in elementary school sitting on the, you know, where they had periodicals, the two covers. Um, but it was it really what you know, so I was I was familiar with his music, but it was it was Darkness on the Edge of Town. That was the album that just got me. I you know, it's 1978. It's, I'm 16 years old, right? It's the summer after my, I guess, my sophomore year in high school. And this album comes out and it's just so different to me from anything that he had done before that. It's got a harder edge. And I could just remember hearing the promised land the first time on the radio. And I'm like, okay, I always liked him, but this is the music he wrote for me. You know, it had this, this, it had a harder edge. Um, some of it was a little darker, you know. I mean, obviously the song "Darkness on the Edge of Town," yeah. kind of a heavy, dark song. Sure, but you know, "The Promised Land," "Badlands," "Prove It All Night," "Adam Raised the Cane," you know, "Holy Cow," <laughs> "Candy's Room." These songs just yeah. blew me away. And that's what you know. And so, like, I'm 16 years old. I really don't know who I. I mean, I obviously didn't know who I was. Yeah. But I mean, I was even conscious of the fact that I didn't know who I was. You know, at age sure. 16, right? And this music comes out, and it's 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 the same, but it's different, right? Yes. And that's what really got me to go back and listen to the earlier albums, and and then appreciate much more how great all of it was up to that. 
Um, and, and obviously has been since then, but that yeah. was the, that album just gripped me, you know, the summer of 1978, listening to that album, you know, you, you're 16 years old and you, you got, you know, everything seems like a dead end, right? I'm working for less than minimum wage at a public library, shelving book. That was my job, my summer job. In the old days, municipalities could pay less than minimum wage. Right. So it's making like nothing, you know. Uh, and I don't know, it's hard to explain, but just, you know, that, and that's what really got me to go back and start listening to this music. And that's when I'm like, you know, I didn't, I couldn't, I was nowhere near able to accept who I really was in terms of my orientation but i knew that i was different you know i had a lot of friends and i had a big family and my family is very close and by the way just as an aside you know my my family is very very accepting okay um my father was a world war ii combat vet came back and you know he in the early 1970s wrote the very first diversity policy for our public schools and our village uh, nice. right outside chicago um, and then in the 80s, when our local high school was talking about updating its diversity policy to include things like sexual orientation and gender identity, my old man went down to this big public meeting at the high school auditorium and spoke in favor of expanding. This is a guy born in 1921, lived through the Depression, fought World War II. You know, so I, all I'm saying is I came from an extremely accepting family. Yeah. And I have extremely accepting friends, but I couldn't accept, you know, who I was. But this music spoke to me, right? It was about, you know, uh, we were talking about this the other day, Jennifer and I, and I'm like, you know, Bruce, now, he, he has this sort of, you know, kind of archetypical macho, you know, uh, heterosexual thing, but he never wrote songs about the captain of the football team and the homecoming queen. It was always, you know, these folks who, didn't know who they were, you know, well, stood stone like at midnight commanding the night brigade, you know, right. Like, think about it. Um, one of his most poppy songs, one of the seven top 10 sings from Born in the USA. I knew a friend back in high school, right. Was a big baseball player. Not yeah. I was a big baseball player. My friend was a big baseball player. Right. You know, right. That right. he's on the fringe. Yeah. That, you know, exactly. um, you know, the promise when he talked about sometimes I just want to go home. Right. You know, that I, right. I, I, you know, I did this. Um, I that think, song was a revelation because yeah. it's really, you know, it's the sequel to Thunder Road. Right. Yes. And I didn't know it existed, obviously, until that that album came out. You know, Amazing. and, and I, 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 I can't remember exactly once again, I, but when. John Stewart was introducing when uh, Bruce was getting the Kennedy Center honors. And he said, right. you know, when you listen to Bruce Springsteen songs, you're the hero. You know, you're not a loser from New Jersey. You're the yeah. hero of an epic tale of a yeah. loser from New Jersey. Right. right. Uh, and and I do think you and your your bride talked about this on your podcast. Um and because I sampled it today um, about why, you know, that Bruce has such a strong um, following, 
you know, in the LGBTQ community. In yeah. fact, you know, my friend Bella and I sent you her podcast talked about, yes, in a lot of ways, Bruce is a lesbian icon. But I love make any that sense, show. But it's, you know, it's true. I love that show. I, and, yeah. and I, I, and I would say it does, it does make a certain amount of sense. And, and it's funny because, you know, you'd also um, sent me a link to the article in the nation yeah. that I'd read before and, yeah. and another one, a similar thing. Yeah. But it's, it's funny. So, you know, it makes a certain amount of sense to me, but also, you know, as a young gay person who wasn't ready to accept being gay. Right. Despite being in an environment, I mean, granted, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, yeah. it would have been difficult, but yeah. at least would have had family support. Your family would have been supportive, right? Right, exactly. But 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 I couldn't accept it. I couldn't wrap my head around it. And but what I found with this music and you know the other bands too, I would say the Ramones uh, had the similar effect later. You know when I was in college, yeah, the Clash too. Um, but Bruce, especially, you know, he gave me some room, some space to just kind of like breathe and like, yeah. you know, it's okay to be different and to feel like you're different and to be conscious of it and to feel, you know, awkward. Here's a guy on the cover of Time and Newsweek simultaneously who yeah. sings about, you know, feeling awkward and feeling out of place and, and not, you know not knowing his place in the world. Um, and that, that was really important to me. I mean, I don't even think I appreciated that at the time, but that was really important to me to have some kind of affirmation um, from someone I could relate to. And, you know, my, both of my parents were teachers. My dad was a college professor. My, my mother was an elementary school teacher. But, um, but we lived in kind of a blue collar neighborhood, you know, working class neighborhood. And so even though, you know, my parents were very educated, the aesthetic still resonated because those are the people, you know, that we knew in our neighborhood. Uh, yeah. You know, the guy across the alley was an electrician. And anytime we had a problem, he'd come over and help my dad fix whatever the problem was. Another guy down the street was like this self-taught computer guy who just, you know, he was also had some training in like, as an electrician, but he just like figured out computers. But he was just, you know, a guy who worked on a car in his garage on the weekends, right? And yeah. that was, so, so that environment was something I could understand. But when you layer on top of that, the fact that he's not just singing about that environment, but singing about being out of place and, you know, not really knowing how to fit in in the world and trying to make sense out of it and, and navigate through it and not lose a sense of yourself. That really, yeah. really mattered to me more yeah. than I realized. Yeah. I mean, once again, you know, we're quoting some of his biggest hits, right. But I, I check by look in the mirror, want to change my clothes, my hair, my face. Right. 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 You know that, and, you know, I've had often people talk about that, especially if you hear someone covering dancing in the dark without the, the slow it down a little bit or without the, the kind of eighties, you know, almost pop feel to it. Right. There is a lot of depth in that song, you sure. know, and there is, and I do think as we have been lucky enough to follow Bruce on his journey and, um, 
you know, I've had my share of touches of depression. Uh, I think everyone has struggled. And to see someone, you know, you're Bruce F. and Springsteen. How can you write? Well, the reality is I don't care who you are. There you have your demons. You have your things. I thought one of the most this one of the most revealing statements is in western stars where he says there was a time that if you loved me i made sure to you know keep you at a distance to hurt you before you had the chance to hurt me right yeah and i and and i think that's true i mean i think about this all the time and my wife could could tell you more stories than i could yeah but you know i mean i um i had everything going for me in my life. Yeah. I mean, I was a, a white male from the suburbs. Right. You know, we weren't wealthy, but at, you didn't have to be wealthy to go to college back then, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I got a, I started a professional career where, you know, I made a good living. I was married with kids and own a nice house and um, uh, everything in the world went my way, but I still have, uh, today and and I've always had issues with with that sort of thing with depression and um, you know that's one of the things I guess we're still being kind of heavy here aren't we but that's one of the things that um, that I think we all have to kind of you know yeah. accept is that we're all still learning yeah. you know that doesn't stop that doesn't stop and so you know you, you got to kind of figure out it's it's okay you know it's, it's almost a cliche nowadays but basically you know it's okay to to not be okay right you know the, and to recognize it. yeah i don't remember who said this but someone said one of the biggest issues we have is as a society we want to believe the best in ourselves and the worst in someone else yeah. Yeah. that if i say something i want you to give me the benefit of the doubt um i i'm you know i'm i don't know what the correct person to call someone that is from the east so be kind to me if i use the wrong word right but the other person how dare you say that i'm insulted to use that phrase and not trying to give each other the kindness that you're wanting to give yourself that you're asking others to give you well and boy you know i mean we learned a lot um having a, a transgender daughter, yes, you know, who is got the patience of a saint. Yes. <laughs> uh, because, you know, we made mistakes. I mean, we were very accepting from day one. Um, but, and, and we had fortunately come to understand a little bit more about the transgender and non-binary community before our daughter came out, but you're still going to make mistakes. Yes. And one of the hardest things I think to do along the lines of, you know, we're all still learning is to just sit back and, you know, and let things sort of unfold a little bit, you know, and my experience being in the situation that I'm in, if I, you know, if I tell people that I'm gay, but I'm still married to my wife of nearly 27 years now, that doesn't compute. You know, they maybe they think I'm making it up or maybe they don't understand why we stay. And, and I just want to say, but don't worry about it. Yeah. Just relax because it's OK to not understand everything. It's not OK 
to to not to to misunderstand and hold things against people. Right. But if you can say, you know what, I'm confused. I don't quite understand. But sit back and say, but that's okay. I don't have yeah. to understand. I, I don't have to understand the logistics of it. I don't right. need to know. Uh, you know, right. it's okay. Now, I did. Um, I have a. I had a friend years ago that was in an unconventional, based on society, uh, relationship. There were three of them, and they viewed themselves as married. Sure. And um, and I you know, a lot of people might ask some questions. My only question was, I said, can I ask you something? And you could see my friend was okay. He's going to ask me about our sex yeah. lives or something. Right. And like, right. you know, it was like, no, when Linda and I have a fight, we are on equal sides and we have to figure out yeah. how to compromise. Yeah. If there's three of you, what do you do if two of you agree and then you're outnumbered? Right. That's all I wanted to know is how do you work through that logistics? Because right now, like one of the things when people ask me, uh, you and Linda have been married since 1984. Um, what do you say is your success of marriage? And I say one of it, we were good friends before. You know, we dated four years before we got married. Uh, we continue to have a, a wonderful friendship. We like hanging around with each other. Right. I said, but one of our early, early rules was you couldn't say, I told you so. You couldn't say the net you, when when we bought a car and we ended up six months later having trouble making the car note. You couldn't say, well, I thought it was a bad idea for to buy the new car anyway. Yeah, nope, right, right, nope. right. The time to say that is before we made the decision. You know, if That's I knew a good should, rule. I know we shouldn't That's have gone a on very vacation. Good rule. I, you know, I know, no, no, no. You know, what you can say is, well, remember I brought it up that I was concerned. Yes, you did. We talked through it and we decided to go in every way. That's right. We made the decision together. Right. And now right. then we know better. And looking back, it was the wrong decision, but we don't blame each other. Yeah. And, and it's very easy to do Monday morning quarterbacking, right? To say, well, you know, I told you, well, why didn't you tell me before, right? Like, <laughs> if you thought this was a bad idea, shouldn't you yeah. have raised your hand and say, hey, David, <laughs> I think this is a bad idea. That's a, that's a, that's a very, very good rule to live by. I like yeah. that a lot. And I definitely could learn that. Myself. <laughs> that's good. All right. So you it already talked about darkness. Well, let's, yes. let's talk about seeing Bruce live. So oh, yeah. I always, I always give this disclaimer that the amount of times you've seen Bruce live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are based on your age, your economic situation, where you live can drive how often you've seen him. But for the record, have you been able to see Bruce perform live? And yep. if do you count? Uh, I do, but unfortunately, it's an easy number to count. I, I've okay. seen him three times. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, the last time was in 2000. So it's been. Wow. It's been, it's been a while. Yeah. The first time I saw him was on the River Tour in 1981. I was okay. a freshman in college. Um, and he came through Champaign, Illinois, played at the basketball arena that used to be known as Assembly Hall. Now it's a corporate sponsor name, but we call yeah. it Assembly Hall. Yes. So he played at Assembly Hall. Uh, and that was a world changing. I mean, I was already a big fan anyway, but, you know, it was the classic, you know, nearly 
four-hour show, the long encore, the Detroit medley, you know, the, all of the bells and whistles. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was just fantastic. And then I saw him up in Chicago at, uh, not at Soldier Field, it was another indoor venue. It used to be called the Rosemont Horizons. It's another corporate name now. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was on the Born in the USA tour. And he played a fair amount from Nebraska too. So he was still playing uh, okay. uh, uh, Atlantic City and, and open all night and, and stuff like that. And I cannot remember, I don't think that he did the like the Delta Blues version of Born in the USA. Okay. Was apparently how he actually wrote the song. I think yeah. he did the more like, cause it was the first tour. I think it was more of yeah, a stadium sure. rock tour. And then a long time passed. And one of my sisters and her husband had tickets to see him in St. Louis at uh, the hockey arena. I think it was the Kiel center back then. I don't, I don't even know if the blues still play there, but, um, and they were good seats too. And my brother-in-law got them through work and, um, they, there was a fourth person who was going to go with him who couldn't go. So I went and I felt terrible because yeah. uh, two little kids at home um, and my wife had never seen Bruce, but they only had one ticket. And so she was kind enough to say, go, go, just go, go. So we drove to St. Louis and stayed overnight, saw him and drove right back. You know, it was a, it was a short trip. But that was fantastic. And that was in April of 1980. Okay. And I just haven't been able to swing it um, since. But that was great because that was a reunion tour, right? That yes. was when he brought the E Street Band back. And, right. You know, they opened with My Love Won't Let You Down. And, and uh, oh, it was just a great show. Played, uh, you just mentioned it, uh, um, <laughs> Land of Hope and Dreams. I'm sorry. Yes. Played Land of Hope and Dreams, which has since then been one of my favorite songs. For yes. both happy and sad occasions, right? You know, right, so, exactly. Uh, when my one of my brothers, who was a great guitar player, uh, passed away, he had lung mm -hmm. cancer, died in 2009. That was like, I'd listen to that song on repeat probably 10 times. My kids must thought I was nuts, you know. Um, but they knew, you know, it was like, that's, because see, that's the thing. And I, I'm getting off track here, but that's the no, thing is like, you know, I my brother's, I have four brothers, uh, two living, unfortunately, two have passed away, but four brothers, um, you know, and how I, as I said, I mean, I didn't know who I was, but I knew I was like different. And music was like our common language. That's yes. how we could relate. Um, is why I became, you know, a big sports fan because I could yeah. relate with my, you know, straight male high school and college friends through football and basketball and hockey and baseball and all that. And, so music was our thing and when my, my brother was a great guitar player when he passed away it was like you know that's what I turned to was that song meet me in the land of hope and dreams you know um anyway but so I have I've only seen him the three times but I have a great story about the first time. please tell me so it, we're down in Champaign a big college town uh, it's at a student, you know, it's at the basketball arena. So almost everyone there is students, but there's a married couple in the audience. When I say married couple, I mean, they were straight from their wedding. Reception. Oh, how fun. Guy in a tuxedo, woman in a wedding dress. And they put the spotlight on him and Bruce calls him up onto the stage. And he sang, I want to marry you, which may or may not be the most right. appropriate song under the circumstances, but it didn't matter. 
It was right. amazing. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. That does sound cool. Uh, you know, you were talking about um, if I should fall behind. Mm. Um, I tend to um, print those lyrics out and put them in any card. If someone is getting married and yeah. the gift, I put this, I put the printed lyrics in the card and go, I think this is one of the best songs about marriage life that's ever been written. And um, so I, you know, I, I give this as a gift as long, you know, to share. Uh, yeah, I do that's that. Great. Yeah. You know, um, David, I, you were talking about listening to land of hope and dreams. Um, my five seconds with Bruce way back in, you know, when he was doing the book tours, um, he, uh, he came to Austin and I drove down to Austin early, got in line, you know, got my five seconds with him, you know, cause it was. Right. And um, so I had practiced all the way down what I was going to say. And, what I ended up saying was I, I had been unemployed for nine months the previous year and um, and listened to Better Days and Land of Hope and Dreams every day to keep my spirits up. Um, I don't think he heard it because, but as I've yeah. told the story a million times, I needed to say it more than I needed him to hear it, you know? So yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Do our... Are the your three children? Are they fans? They appreciate his music, but they're all often to different things. Yeah. Although my my youngest, so my youngest is um, is a drummer. Oh, nice! And she picked this up on her own a few years ago for her birthday. She wanted a drum kit, so we got it. You know, we got an electric kit, yeah. so it wouldn't make a tremendous amount of noise. Um, she plays in a band in college, and. Um, and I was screwing around on the guitar one. I'm a terrible guitar player, so I'm not trying to brag about it. But I was screwing around on the guitar player, uh, the guitar uh, one day, and um, I was playing um, Pink Cadillac. Okay. And uh, she goes, "Oh, that's one of my favorite songs." I said, "Are you are you kidding?" I said, "Where did you hear that?" And she's, you know, and she recognized it from my not great yes. playing them, yeah right um but i was trying you know mm -hmm. uh and and so she liked some bruce for sure um the uh, my other kids are my my oldest is into all kinds of different music she okay. was a huge beatles fan uh when she was much younger and then got into like streetlight manifesto and, and a bunch of bands that were more um you know sort of her her era uh and our middle guy is kind of he's into a lot of different stuff but he's a hip-hop fan which is okay. wild, you know, I think it's great, by the way, just, you know, um, I, I always want to say this when people talk about music, I, I think hip hop is in many ways, the most rock and roll music that's come along in a long time. Yes. And I'll, I'll, I'll die on this hill. You know, Joe Strummer said that hip hop picked up where punk left off and ran full steam ahead. And I think there's yeah. a lot of truth. To that. I'm an old white guy. I'm not going to pretend that I'm, you know, knowledgeable about, yeah. uh, about hip hop, but I think it is kind of, uh, uh, a, a, a misunderstood art form and Bruce, you know, mm -hmm. uh, has pointed out that he loves Kendrick Lamar and some other, yeah. he's a Kanye, he likes Kanye, but I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's still a Kanye fan. I think he appreciates his genius as an yeah. artist. 
But well, obviously, Kanye's gone his own yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> so I always think of Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller was, uh, you know, he does a great podcast and he talks about that he he is sad, almost angry when kids talk about they love and they mention, you know, classic rock art yeah. artist. He goes, no, rock and roll is built to be music your parents can't stand. That yeah. is the heart and soul of rock and roll. This yeah. is what it should be. He says, when you become an adult, you can learn to appreciate other, you know, music, but there should be that. Um, Absolutely. And, and I, I was very vocal on Twitter. Um, there was a, and especially on Facebook, there's a lot of hate for this last Super Bowl's halftime show yeah, I, I with certain it. people. And, you know, my point was my 32 year old son knew every song and was smiling yeah. and happy because he said, this was, this was my, this was, this was my high junior high. This was, right. this was, I grew right. up on this music and he was thrilled. And I said, you know, where are the people complaining that, why are we listening to the who on the. You know, right. like why, you know, like, oh, right. you're just bidding to one demographics. It's not. So uh, I thought that was great and good for them. Uh, well, it kind of goes back to this thing yeah. about about when darkness came out. You yeah. know, a, a friend of mine said a few years later, but ab about that era in music, he said, yeah, rock music matured. And he did not mean that in a complimentary way. Right. Right. It was that kind of thing. Like, listen, there's nothing wrong with progressive rock and bands yeah. like yes and 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 um you know like i say boston kansas sticks um yeah there's nothing wrong with that and and i appreciate great musicianship regardless but from my perspective it just didn't resonate with me you know yeah. hearing the lamb lies down on broadway or some you know eight minute track off of a yes album I can appreciate how skilled those folks yes. are. And as I've tried desperately to learn how to play guitar later in life, I understand what a challenge it is, but it just didn't resonate with me. And that was the thing about that album. And that was the thing that later appealed to me about the Ramones and the clash and all that. It was like tearing it down and rebuilding it again because it had gotten sort of old and, and stodgy. And, and again, I, I don't like to, I don't like to judge anybody's taste in music. I have a lot of good yeah. friends who are really into that kind of stuff or, you know, is the grateful dead or whatever. Great, great, great musicians. And, you know, the grateful dead wrote a lot of great songs that other people have done great covers of. So, you know, right. it, it works, it works in that sense. But I think that that was the thing to me was uh, in that time period, I didn't feel like there was any music that was really speaking to me and to people my age, you know, we're kind yeah. of like this mini generation that was that came at the sort of the tail end of the baby boom. And right. while, you know, and in my case, Mike, I literally have older siblings who are every part of the baby boom. Right. Right. But this is this and this could be a whole different podcast and a whole different topic. But the way we look yeah. at generations in quotation marks is kind of weird because I don't think you have that much in common with somebody who's 15 years older than you or 20 years. Older. Right. Even though statisticians might say you're in the same generation or yes. the ad industry may view you. They may lump you together. I, I am in a, you know, a baby boomer, but that, you know. 
but I kind of straddled that hippie and punk rock era, right. right? And and I just, to me, the late 70s, there wasn't anything that spoke to me. And then this album yeah. came out and it just, you know, it just blew me away. Well, Still and, my favorite Bruce Springsteen. You know, one of the things that I come to mind, and I've told this story multiple times, is my parents growing up in Louisiana um, were not sports fans. So I did not grow up having that. I did not have a fan, uh, you know, a horse in the race, as they say, with any fan, you know, and really did not become a sports fan. So I moved to Dallas in 86 and it's in the culture, you know, right. following yeah, the Cowboys are in the yeah. you know, culture. Um, right. And I grew up listening to country music. I mean, it was, that's all that played that we, there was no such thing as being on a rock station. We listened to nothing but country, you know, Johnny Cash albums and uh, Merle Haggard and, and, you know, Hank Williams. And um, the closest we came to rock and roll was fifties rock. My mom loved Bobby Darren's Fats Domino, you know, that kind of music. Um, So um, I was visiting my cousins in Ohio and they were shocked. And this is probably like 68, 69. So I was like nine or 10. I could not name all four Beatles because oh you know, like I do oh not, my. I did not see the bar, the, the Beatles on uh, Ed Sullivan. You know, I'm 62, yeah. you know, so I mean, that would have been at the highlight. You know, I right. graduated high school in 77. So I'm just a couple of years older than you. Um, and because it was, you know, Porter Wagner and, and all sure. this other stuff right. was, was my right. lifetime. So, um, by the way, I love country music. Yeah, me too. I, like, I love it. Ken Burns documentary. I recommend yeah. to everyone. I'm like, whether you like music, country music or not watch, I mean, as much yeah. as his documentary about Vietnam and the civil war and everything else, yeah. Muhammad Ali was amazing. That country music, you will, if you love music at all, you will be yeah. fascinated by that documentary. Here's a fun fact. Yeah. My, my wife and I saw Johnny Cash in Chicago in the mid nineties when he yeah. was having this big revival in his career, sure. which by the way, was really great because like the crowd was like half, you know, old dudes in Harley t-shirts with big belt yeah. buckles and half like, you know, surly teenagers and yeah. like goth attire. Right. But yeah. it was fantastic. It was so good. So then a few years ago, we saw Roseanne Cash, you know, obviously his daughter at Old Town School of Folk oh, Music, how where fun. we had taken guitar lessons and everything like that. And on top of that, in the midst of her show, it was just her and her husband, John Leventhal, phenomenal musician. I would have well, loved to see are, that show. I, John is great, right? I think she's coming to Texas and I'm Austin and I'm yeah. tempted to go down and see her. But yeah. in the middle of that show, she brings out her son, Jacob. Yeah who was apparently going to the University of Chicago. So he was in yeah. town and he's a musician. So we've seen three generations of the cash. Very nice. That's, that's it like, I really like, that cool. is awesome. That's it great. Really cool. Yeah. So and I, this is a side trip, but yeah. we also saw Johnny and we also saw Roseanne and her husband and a band feature, including Roy Cooter doing Johnny Cash songs, like a whole Johnny oh, Cash song. Nice. Yeah. That was wild. Yeah. That's anyway, great. Sorry. No, no, no. Uh, thoughts on Western Stars? Letter to you. Um. Well, let me see. Okay, so 
Western Stars is interesting. Um, it really is, you know, the the soundtrack to a Western movie kind it of, is. right? I mean, it's it, not, I mean, it's very consciously not a Bruce Springsteen album. I, and yet I, it's very much a Bruce Springsteen album. I've said that it's closest to Nebraska as far as, yes. you know, if, if, if you were trying to do a family tree. And uh, Elmore Leonard, who wrote the short stories that, uh, justified yeah. the TV series is based on. It feels like a collection of his short stories. Right. Could be Louis yeah. Lamar, Zane Grave, you know, Elmer and Leonard. You know, it is. It feels like a collection of short stories. Right. I like it. It's just it, you know, I I don't think that I was really. I didn't think I knew what to expect. Yes. Um, and I've listened to it many times. Um, Letter to you, I love. I love. I want to say, Ghost is my favorite song on the album. Um, but I, I really do like it. I haven't listened to it as much. I have it on vinyl, which is great. Yeah. Um, but you know, those, the sides are always very short. Yes. And so I'll put it on, we have people over and then I'll forget to turn it over. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Right. So I did download it on my phone. So I listen to okay. it sometimes when I work out. I like it, but here, here's my overall thing about this. Yes. In that regard is that this is a guy who's had more, you know, Dylan goes electric moments than <laughs> Dylan ever had, right? Yes. He's had all of these moments where he's, and I love that about him. He's absolutely not afraid. I was going to say not afraid to fail. I'm not sure he failed, but but he does things that don't always appeal to people. Yeah. You know, I know he jokes in concert about the Magic album and, and the fact that it didn't get the warmest reception. Uh, but, but Nebraska is a classic example of that. And that's such a great album. It is. Uh, I love that. Album. Open All yeah. Night is still one of my and, and Atlantic City. But those yeah. are, you know, absolutely among my favorite songs. And uh, speaking of Johnny Cash, his cover of Johnny 99 is amazing. Well, Just and amazing. I would amazing. I have made the argument that I think Johnny Cash's Highway Patrolman is yes. better than Bruce's version. Right. You know that, but that's he, okay though. It I is mean, okay. I, yeah, that's the thing I like about Springsteen fans in general is that it's not yeah. the same kind of fanaticism. Yes, you know, in some, <laughs> you've ever told a Led Zeppelin fan that you're not a fan of Led Zeppelin, they may never talk to you again. Yes, right, right. And I think that I think that's great that people can actually be honest about it and still love the guy because I think that he earned the right to just do what the hell he wants, you know? Yeah. And it's okay. You know, like, I still think Patty Smith's cover of because the night is one of the greatest songs I've ever heard. It's yeah. such a perfectly, that the song itself is such a perfectly constructed rock song. Yes. And then her version of it, the yeah. sort of feminist punk version of it is so good. Um, I, I like Bruce's uh, when I hear you know yeah. if he plays it in concert or it's on you know I think it's yeah. on the promise um, or one of those um, yeah. anthologies I think it's on the uh, the essential Bruce Springsteen also and anyway yeah. I like his version just fine if I'd never heard hers I would love it yeah but her version to me is still the definitive version of that song yeah and that's I, okay I, th I think so I, I think so do you um, uh, I. I have a lot of affection for Letter to You because of when it came out, right? Absolutely. That right. The idea, and I was saying this a lot in the fall of um, 2020, that, you know, if I got a new Springsteen album and a new president, that 2020 would not be the worst year <laughs> ever in our lives. Right. Uh, so it, 
and yeah, and I, I am, I am like everyone else ready to have him back on the road, but I want yeah. him to do it safe. Sure. So hopefully that they're going to be on the back on the road again yeah. and that things are going to work out where uh, you get to go. If you are, what's on your, excluding Western stars and letter to you, what's on okay. your wish list? What are the songs that you haven't got to hear live that you would really love to hear? Well, that's a great, that's a great question. Well, first of all, just, to, I will always say, because, and I have heard him play it live, but I will always say she's the one. Yeah. Which I just think is, you know, again, I, th- a guy who writes, she's the one can do anything he wants. Right. He can do 15 versions of Western stars to the end of time. Some of those songs, another kind of in a similar vein, Candy's Room, uh, is, I, I love that song. Um, and I know I'm going back kind of far. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I had a whole, I had a, I, I would love, I'd love to have him bring back quarter to three, you know, the great, yes. uh, the, the, the great, um, uh, oh my God, Gary Bond. Yeah. Gary Bond said. Yeah. You um, know, what was um, not that Bruce is asking us, but you know, a couple of us will be on the show. Like, you know, um, will we get, you know, like, can we rotate? Let's do shout. Let's do, uh, yeah. you know, like quarter to three. Let's do the Detroit medley. Let's, do, you know, like rotate. If he wants to end the show on an oldie, kind of do it around, you know, uh, that's great. And anytime uh, he wants to do a clash cover, it's fine with me. I, uh, I got a whole list of them he could do. London <laughs> Calling was great, yes. but I'd love to hear him do Spanish bombs. There's a whole yeah. bunch of clash songs I'd love to hear him do. Yeah. Um, but um, so I've done this a couple of times, Dave. And so I'm going to, I hope not put you on the spot. Uh, I am a casual cash clash fan at best. And um, I, I just had a guy on, I haven't released the episode yet that does a who podcast. Okay. And he was talking about this and I, and, and at the end of the podcast, I said, you know, I don't really know that many Who songs. And he says, well, did you recognize any of the titles I gave you? And I go, no. I said, you know, I know the CSI themes. I know Squeezebox because it was on the right. radio. And so he sent me. I had a banjo. How many, yeah. how many rock songs yeah. have banjo? So he sent me a list of 10 lesser known Who songs. And I put it in a playlist and I'm listening to them. And then in about a month, he's going to come back on the podcast and we're going to talk about it. Oh, yeah. So I'll give you the same challenge. Send me yes. about 10 Clash songs you think to give me a flavor. And Absolutely. then I'll study them and then I'll have you back on and we'll do, we'll talk about it. You bet. You bet. No, it's an obsession with me. So you'll be, yeah, you'll, yeah I'll be happy. Because what I love is, um, because I've done that a couple of times with, with people that really don't know Bruce. I have about 10 songs that I send them and then they come on the show and we talk about it, you know? And, uh, and so I think that's always a lot of fun to do. So I think that would be good to share. That'd be great. That'd be great. I I could come up with that in no time. I bet you could. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, What should I have asked you that I haven't? Um, You know, I, I don't know. That's, that's also a good question. Yeah. That's, 
I, I've learned that that's what in corporate speak, you always say that. Well, that's a great question, yes. but I mean it sincerely. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have an answer to that question. Okay, well, and the reason I always ask is early, early in the podcast, I had a guy who was on the podcast. We had a good time and it was kind of short, you know, and so we hung up and, you know, we were about to hang up and I'd stop recording and I, you know, as you'll hear when we quit recording, I'll thank you for being on the podcast and then tell you when this will come out and such. And he says, Oh, and the next time I'm on, I should tell you about the time I got drunk with the E street band. And I oh. went, what, what, oh. how did you not like lead with that story? Yeah. So I always Questions like to things. do that. Yeah. Like, right. Hey. Uh, oh yeah. Jesse, I didn't get to tell you the time, you know? Um, well, I'll tell you one thing. Yeah. I'll just throw, this will just be a promotional thing because yeah. we talked about not, a, not for me. We talked about covers, you know? Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar. We talked about country music. There's a band called the Mavericks uh, that mm -hmm. uh, came out of Miami 30 mm -hmm. some years ago. I'm a huge Mavericks fan. They're fantastic. And they've covered, uh, well, their, their first like big breakout album. They had a great cover of All That Heaven Will Allow. Yeah. And it's, again, it might, I hate to say this, it might be better than Bruce. But here's the thing. I mean, Raul Mallow, the lead singer, is like one of those voices like the first time yeah. you hear him he's like you know he's he's on that level. i hate to say this but he's on the level of like aretha franklin freddie mercury you know roy orbison whatever it's one of those voices that you can't so i'm sorry bruce but the guy's got like the best voice and then they also do hungry heart uh a really cool version of hungry heart on an album that's all covers, mostly country, but they, they do Hungry Heart and it's really great. So in terms of the, we have the Clash Bruce Springsteen crossover. Now the country Bruce Springsteen uh, um, crossover is the Mavericks. And those guys are so cool. They're such nice people. And the next concert we're going, we're actually going to see them in May, God willing. Um, so that'll be our next concert. I don't know what I don't know, I don't know what the question was. you said. What did I didn't forget to ask no, you? And no, no, I, no, and I didn't have a question, but I had to mention the Mavericks. No, I'm glad. Um, I have a YouTube, um, you know, on my a YouTube account, and I have Bruce covers, you yeah. know. And as as of right now, there's 138 videos on there, oh, um, wow. and including Mavericks, Hungry Heart. And uh, Mavericks, all that heaven will allow. So they, yeah. I have heard both of them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, th they do a do really good job. They're um, one of those bands that we can say we saw them in a really small club. When really, they, they came through Chicago and they 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 played this place called Fitzgerald's Nightclub in in Berwyn, Illinois, which is right where, where near where we used to live. And you know, my brother, who's the guitar player, was into country and he knew about them and he'd kind of gotten me hooked on them. So. My wife and I and a couple of friends went to see them. We're like two feet from the stage. And within a week or two, they were on like the Country Music Awards and all those big shows. So that's the band we can say, yeah, we saw them when they were just starting out. Um, and, they, and we're going to see them again. God will. Very know, nice. God will. Yeah. So what's next for the podcast? Uh, let's uh, first off, let's promote the podcast again. Oh, Tell you. us where the name it is and where yeah. to find it and talk about what's next. It's uh, it's uh, the it's in the shadow of the evening. Uh, sorry, that's okay. <laughs> it's late on a Thursday. So yeah, yes, it is. is. We have uh, been it, talking it, almost an hour and a half. 
Oh God, really? Sorry <laughs> yes. about that. No, well, no, I like no. to tell I like to tell people I'm half Irish and all lawyers, so you can't <laughs> shut me up. Uh, it's it's in the shadow of the evening trees. In the shadow of the evening trees dot com is yeah. the um, uh, uh, URL. All run together, um, and it's on you know Apple Podcasts. It's on Spotify. It's on uh, Pandora. Um, I'm sure I'm thinking Stitcher. Yeah, I'm sure I'm leaving something out. As the kids say, wherever you get your podcast. Podcasts, yes. Um, and, you know, at this point, we've mostly just done it. You know, we're we're neophytes when it comes right. to the podcasting world. It's mostly just the two of us having a conversation about whatever, you know, strikes our fancy. We do talk, I would say, primarily about issues relating to LGBTQ plus rights, because obviously that's something that's near and dear to us. Um we try not to get, you know, overtly political about it, but I don't view, you know, somebody's basic fundamental humanity as a political issue, right? I, it's not right versus left. This is who we are. And um, it so we'll be, continue- it? Yeah, it shouldn't be, right, right. Um, it gets politicized, but it's not in and of itself political. You know what I mean? Um, yes. So, uh, yeah, and I think, so we kind of wing it a little bit, right? Okay. Like we have, I, like obviously this, this last episode, we talked about the fact that I was going to be on your show, um, but we don't generally have a, a, like a script or a format. We usually okay. have some ideas that we want to kick around and talk about, okay. but we're going to try to get, you know, we've been a little bad lately uh, with holidays and such, but we're going to get back into a real regular schedule. Now I have to, you've shamed me into it. <laughs> Well, I do not mean that. I hope to inspire <laughs> you to it. That's what uh, I meant to say. Yeah, very nice. Uh, okay, before, uh, any final thoughts before we get to the Mary question? Um, just that, you know, and I'll try to be brief about no, this. No, take but your time. I, just would, I would just encourage people generally, you know, um, thinking about my own situation and how I kind of came to where I am in life is that, you know, we all have this, I think we're all kind of hardware to cling to this real sort of binary thinking us against them, you know, there's only men and women, you know, there's only, you know, men and women get together and make babies and all this stuff like, and that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with people like that, you know, obviously, but we need to kind of expand our thinking, you know, it's not us against them. It's not, everything isn't binary. Things are uncertain. And, you know, as Kramer said on, on Seinfeld many years ago, mother nature is a mad scientist, right? And that's okay. Um, but try to just let go of always viewing everything in black and white terms. That would be my piece of advice as an uh, old grizzled, gray haired, you know, whatever. I think that is excellent advice. And I think it's well, well said. All right. So if you are one of David's friends who's listening to this podcast or uh, someone who's found me because of your connection to following David on social media, or hopefully a lot of his family and friends are like, oh yeah, you're on a podcast. Let's listen. Uh, and you're still with us. Um, I want to say thank you for listening. Um, I end every podcast with this question. Uh, Jay Armstrong, who is a recently retired English teacher from the Philadelphia area. He has a book out, uh, Bedtime Stories for the Living. And when he was teaching, he would spend two days in his honors English class their senior year, breaking apart Thunder Road. 
They uh-huh. would look okay. at all the lyrics. They would talk about the imagery that Bruce is using. He would compare it to Robert Frost, The Road Not Taken, and other poems. And at the end of the two days, he would ask the class, does Mary get in the car? David, that is your question. Yeah. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? So my answer is yes. And, okay. I, and I'll tell you why. Um, I don't know that I necessarily had a, a conclusion about that until um, the first time I heard the song, The Rising on the radio. Okay. And he's talking, and, you know, Mary has wound her way through many songs and many different yes. generations, right? Mary, Queen of Arkansas. Obviously, it's Mary's place, you know, on the, on the yeah. album, The Rising. But when I heard the verse that begins, you know, I see Mary in the garden, in the garden of a thousand sighs, she's holding pictures of our children. The first thing that I thought about was, that's Mary from Thunder Road. Oh. The guy ends up becoming a New York City firefighter. You know, they settled down, they kind of grew up. And, and so, I mean, obviously Mary could also be the Mary from the, the song, The River. <laughs> But, yes. but to me, that kind of just, and, and this is, I'm sure this is insane. I, you know, I'm sure this is like either everyone has thought of this or everyone's going to think I'm nuts. But to me, that brings it full circle. The kid who was, you know, you can play this here guitar, you know, and, and all that, um, you know, he finds a calling eventually, right? And that's to be a firefighter and to be a first responder to save lives. And now it's at the end of his life and he's gone up the stairs, you know, and he knows that he's not coming out of that building and he's dreaming or daydreaming about, you know, Mary and and their family. So I think it's the same couple. Okay. That's my theory. I, I like that theory. No one has shared that with me. Um, I have been shared that she's not named, but when when in Racing in the Street, he says, my baby sits on the porch of her daddy, you know, on her daddy's porch. What a song. He says, that's the porch that she dances across. Yeah. It's the same porch. And I went, oh, I've never thought of that. My other one. Um, I, there's been a lot of great answers, but another one said, yes, that Moonlight Motel is the sequel that they got in the car, drove all the way to California and yeah. Mary has now died and he's mourning her death at oh, the Moonlight Motel. Right. Well, so, that's, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Yes, it is. Uh, David, this has been great. I, I, well, I knew you. after listening to your podcast, I was, and we exchanged a few emails. I knew that we would have a great time talking and um, I am sorry. I kept you up late, uh, uh, but I, we're both on the same, in the same yeah, time. Zone. Yes, it is. So I really, really appreciate you spending time with me. Um, tell us how to find you on social media. My, uh, my Twitter, and, and I will confess up front, I don't always behave on Twitter. That's okay. Uh, my, tw- my Twitter is Dave from TR and the number one all run okay. together. And um, that's my main Twitter account. Yeah. Well, um, I don't always behave as well. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be kinder uh, on social media, but sometimes the hypocrisy of some of the people um anger me so but i'm working on it yeah Uh, i gotta work on it too yeah 
so listeners, you please go get vaccinated, go get boosted. Remember to keep being safe and let's be kind to one another because that's really the only way we're going to get through this. Um, David, thank you for your time. Listeners, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. I want and need your feedback. You can reach me multiple ways to tell me what you like or don't like about the show. You can reach out to give me guest suggestions or maybe to join me on the podcast yourself. We're on Twitter at SetLustingBruce or at DFW. I have an Instagram, SetLustingBruce or DFW. Our Facebook page, facebook.com slash setlustingbruce. Go to patreon.com slash setlustingbruce to find out how you can support the show. And we have several tiers of support. Please go to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And tell a friend about the podcast because that is the way we're going to grow. If you're not tired of hearing me speak, you can hear me on Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast, where Charles Skaggs and I talk all things Doctor Who, the How Many podcast, where me and my friends Gary, Scott, Bob, and Jr. talk pop culture, and finally, my newest podcast, The Last Best Hope for Conversation, a Babylon 5 podcast, where Karen, Lou, and I are going through the TV show Babylon 5 one episode at a time. I am always looking for guests, so please reach out to me, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.